Hey, what's going on? This is the Saturday Down South Podcast. I am Conor O'Gara. Will, we are in person. Yes. In person. How about it? This is fire. This is, I was having you in Atlanta. You know, we got to finally exchange Christmas gifts over the last two years. Um, it's really great to see you. And that's obviously on me. You were just here, like, for media days. <laughs> but how about that for, you know, bookends on the season, right? You know, we Love started it. off with SC Media Days. Clark Lee getting the vote, you yep. know what I'm saying? And now we're all the way back here where it started, you know, in Atlanta, Georgia. Yes, it was Christmas morning for many, those who made the college football playoff, uh, Georgia, of course. Um, we had Michigan at the 2C, TCU at the 3, and then Ohio State at the 4. We're going to have playoff takeaways. We're going to have SEC championship takeaways and all those things. But it was Christmas morning for me as well because you just showered me with gifts. <laughs> I come to your house, and I kid you not, what did you have? Four? You had four gifts waiting for me. Mm-hmm. I... I think you you might have set the bar too high for all other visits. <laughs> and this is this is like when you're a kid, you go to your grandma's house and they just spoil you with stuff nonstop while you're there. I feel like I'm at my grandma's house right now and on selection <laughs> Sunday. That's Perfectenschlag. That's that's this this weekend has been so fun and getting mm-hmm. to be here and get to do all this. This is uh this is this is the type of stuff that we grind away for when we're in those lean months for moments like this. Yeah, and I mean, Connor texted me and said, you know, hey, we got a cool tailgate to go to. We got to see um, Candler. We got to catch up with Marler. I talked to Marler for a long time. And obviously, the first time I'd seen him in person because COVID happened. And yeah. so that's what I was telling him. You know, I'm this the kickoff game against FSU was the first football game I had been to since the championship. Yeah. Um, I went to a UCF game in 2020 randomly right. with Boise. But other than that, I hadn't been to an SEC game. So it was a super kind of like poetic way to do it. We got to see a lot of really cool people that we... Love so yeah I think it was it's been a really cool time yeah shout out to to all our guys Perry and Candler and and your boy Brady we got to see and getting to see Marler and get, getting to all be here in person Drew Page fun. pulled up Drew Page yeah, he pulled came out. to the game with us he moved to Atlanta literally yesterday and just walked right into the bins and just got to see the game with us yeah. dang how about it love it yes we will uh, obviously the playoff was the big takeaway and lots of different thoughts that we're gonna get to with that we're gonna talk about just kind of the reactions of those final rankings and what exactly that means. And we're gonna kind of do like a very brief breakdown of matchups at the end. And then we're of course gonna talk about the SEC championship, the actual game itself. And even though it was lopsided, still a lot of things important for both sides, I thought in that one. So before we get to everything, gotta talk to you about our friends at Texas Pete. So this morning I'm at my hotel and you know they have a complimentary breakfast, which I feel like those are kind of dying a little bit. Mm-hmm. I don't know why, but I feel like com- complimentary breakfasts aren't what they used to be. I don't know. Maybe I'm just getting older and I'm getting more disgruntled about it. <laughs> but of course, I'm looking around. You've got two different kinds of grits. You've got eggs. You've got sausage. You've got bacon. You've got toast. You've got bre- or I guess it's bread, and then it becomes toast. You've got bagels. You've got coffee. You've got chocolate milk. You know I love a good chocolate milk. Mm-hmm. Well, they had everything but Texas Pete. Yeah, everything but Texas Pete. And it was a shame, and I felt like my breakfast could have been that much better if I just had some Texas Pete. But nonetheless, I pushed through, wolfed it down. I did. Um, so You know what you need is a travel-sized Texas Pete. I really do. I, it, You know, a flask. If Texas <laughs> Pete has a flask... Smuggle it through TSA. <laughs> <laughs> just smuggle it. I would, I would purchase it. But mm-hmm. yeah, Texas Pete has a million different products. If you haven't already heard from us... Texas Pete has a spice and flavor that's kicking this football season up a notch. If you haven't tried the original hot sauce or their new traditional barbecue sauce, run, don't walk, grab yourself a bottle today. Visit TexasPete.com for recipes and hot apparel. Plus, take 20% off your entire order with promo code SaturdayDownSouth. That is all one word, all caps, Saturday Down South. Win big with Texas Pete when you sauce like you mean it. All right, let's start with playoff stuff, Will, because we find out, and as of this recording, by the way, we're, we're recording this uh, 145. We don't have the final full 25 but we have the final six i guess which is 
the most pivotal thing um, mm-hmm. in all this. Ohio State gets the four seed, going to face Georgia, who gets the one seed. No, no real sort of mystery about Georgia getting the one spot that was locked up after um, beating LSU the way that it did on Saturday. And I mean, anyone against LSU would have locked that up probably for Georgia. And then we find mm-hmm. out the two, three matchup, which would be played in Glendale is Michigan and TCU. Okay. So there's a couple of different ways to look at this. And I think from Georgia's perspective, you get the positive of, Hey, four weeks you're coming back to the same building that you've already played in twice this year mm-hmm. you get to come back to mercedes-benz i think there are some georgia fans who <laughs> probably a lot of georgia fans that are like wait it would have been great if we could have picked our opponent and if we could have played tcu and not an ohio state team that look preseason one of the top two teams will win a national championship probably going to be getting healthier maybe going to get jackson smith and Jigba back I think there were a lot of Georgia fans who kind of looked at that and they are like, oh man, will the selection committee give us the benefit of the doubt and maybe put a more favorable matchup in that four spot instead of Ohio State? But here's why that didn't happen. Did you watch the TCU game like at, at the tailgate? On yep. Okay. So, and Perry, of course, had the six set up where... You know, Shout out to Perry. Team. Yeah, he crushed it. Perry's a lad. He knows his way around the tailgate. No doubt about it. Um, so, you're watching TCU... A 12-0 TCU team, might I add, who is playing a top 10 Kansas State team to the nail. And Max mm-hmm. Duggan, I think, would have died on that field. Yeah, he he's would tough, man. Tough as nails. And they're playing this game as a 12-0 team. And there are still some people like, oh, what if Bama's good? Like, what is, how much does TCU need to lose by for Bama to get in the field? I'm yeah, just imagine saying, just, you know, saying such a ridiculous thing. Or perhaps going on national television and campaigning it for like an hour who did that? Was it a casual <laughs> fan comment? I don't blame Saban for going on TV and doing that because anybody in that spot, even if their argument was as thin as one-ply toilet paper, would have been doing the same thing. Mm-hmm. We would have had Marty Smith over to our house, had Miss Car- Miss Terry cook him up a great meal, sat him down and said, here's what I need you to do. Come on ESPN and say this, 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 and this. When you say it like that, it sounds more like mafioso than it actually was. Yeah. We're going to get Miss Terry to cook you a nice little calzone, okay? And we're yeah. going to talk about this issue we got here. Yeah. My boys need to be at four. <laughs> I don't think Saban does Italian quite that way. No, well. I know, yeah. I think you got him beat on that. But this was never going to be about Alabama versus TCU. And that, that, that was the point that I kept trying to drive home. I'm like... Guys, I think TCU, by even after USC loses on Friday night, I'm like, I think TCU is in. And mm-hmm. I think we know our field because Ohio State, being ranked ahead of Alabama coming into last week's rankings, told us kind of what we needed to know. And so why I've been saying so vehemently that Alabama didn't have a path, think about all these things that have happened, man. In the last eight days, Clemson, second loss. Ohio State gets trucked by Michigan. You have TCU losing in the Big 12 championship game. Mm-hmm. All these different things and yet, you kind of look up and you're like, wait a minute. So, yeah, Alabama didn't have a path. It didn't have a path. And for those who continue to say, well, who are the best four teams? <sighs> look, if this was an Alabama team that was beating everybody by 28, well, we've seen those Alabama teams. We're familiar with those Alabama teams. Yes, this is clearly not one. This, this, this isn't that. It's mm-hmm. not. And if you want to just say, all right, well, you know, Alabama, they'd be favored over TCU. Has Alabama, Alabama's covered like two spreads in the last two months. Right. So I don't really want to hear that. I don't want to hear it when Alabama, in nine games against Power 5 competition, has played a game that was decided in the final minute five times. Okay? 
five of their nine games against Power Five competition. And this has not been a vintage Alabama team with vintage Alabama wins. And if your argument was, well, Ohio State got smacked, I still come back to the point you've seen three teams make the playoff after suffering losses of at least three scores. Yeah. So how is Alabama going to make this feel? Like, it wasn't going to happen. And I talked to... We have an official statement from Matt Hayes, by the way. I know a lot of people... Like, there are some people tweeting at me like, hey, how could you get behind this take? I love Matt. I love Matt. I absolutely do. We have an official statement from Matt Hayes after his column saying that Bama's going to get in. Bama's one of the four best teams in the country. Matt says, my statement will be Georgia 40, Ohio State 16. That's his statement. Oh, wow. So we've got an early... We've got... Matt Hayes gets the first prediction okay. on this podcast. Um, look, I didn't think that was that would have been a fair argument to make. And even as you hear Saban kind of talk about it, you're like, in his heart of hearts, he doesn't actually think his team deserved to make the field. There's a difference between being worthy of making the field mm-hmm. and being told, oh, you would be favored on a neutral site. Who cares? Who cares if you're going to be favored on the other side? Don't play games then. Don't. What's the point of having an entire season? Because at no point could TCU ever do anything that Alabama was going to do in which TCU would all of a sudden be favored on a neutral site. Obviously, of course. Mm-hmm. But that's not how the playoff is decided. And the selection committee, I thought, got it right. And they deserve credit for that. And, and two, we're seeing what feels a little bit like, not the end of an era, but a shift, right? Because you have a couple of coaches in Nick Saban and Dabo that, you know, those are the two coaches that I feel should deserve the benefit of the doubt in these situations. But in most years, they're looking, they're sitting there with one loss. You yep. know, they're sitting there with these dominant performances against kind of like mid teams. And here, it's like they've struggled with some mid teams. You know, Dabo has struggled with Syracuse. You know, Bama has struggled with A&M. They've struggled with Texas. And so the resume is not what we're used to seeing out of these coaches because it's, it's you know, your biases come in no matter what you say. And these committee guys have seen, you know, guys like Saban and Dabo win it before and, and show up big in these big games. But I, I just compare them because I see it as a little bit similar. Alabama's obviously a better team this year. But to your point, the argument could be, oh, you saw Alabama get it in 2017 and win it all. You've seen this happen with Clemson. It's like, no, dude, these are different teams. Exactly yes. to your point. We're, we're out of the era where you could just pencil these guys in and know that even if they don't totally fairly deserve it, they're going to win that first game. And so you're going to end up with saying, okay, well, they, it was good they were in anyway. You this, know? this ranking poured a lot of cold water on the hot take that it's all about the brands Mm -hmm. all the time exactly because if it was all about the brands michigan and ohio state are playing in a semifinal game for Mm -hmm. one like they're they're guaranteeing that that matchup is going to happen and they're not worried about like what's fair what's not fair and it wouldn't have been fair if michigan had to play that ohio state team in two seconds but it wasn't it's not necessarily about that because ohio state was worthy of the number four seed not the number three seed they didn't deserve to sit at home and jump ahead of a tcu team that was 12 and 0 coming into this weekend and played a top 10 team down to the wire and that game against kansas state was great so you look at it from that perspective, and oh, by the way, TCU beating seven Power 5 teams with bowl eligibility, that matters. TCU's mm-hmm. resume is better than what a lot of people assumed based on the fact that they played in a lot of these close games. But this was a ranking in which the selection committee, if they had just said, ah, screw it, we're just going to throw Alabama in there. Yep. We're just going to do it. Or, ah, screw it, we're going to throw uh, Ohio State in no matter what, which they forced, forced is the wrong word. They opened the door for Ohio State to be left out after that loss. They mm-hmm. did. And if USC takes care of business... That's what I was about to say. We have done a disservice because last time we recorded was before that game. Yeah. We, man, we have not slated USC nearly enough so far because all they had to do was simply not give up 40 points to Utah in one of two tries, Connor. If they go one and one against Utah... Yeah. 
They're in very clearly. Like they were in with one loss to Utah, but then that second time they gave up forty to Utah, and this time did not score forty-two. My beloved, <laughs> my beloved Utah Utes. Listen, if you're a Florida fan right now, you got to be giddy because guess what? USC couldn't. Do? Exactly. No, you're right. You're right. And look, there there are so many different ways in which this could have gone. And my point, like, continued to be. Look, all these things are happening, and I'm still telling you why Alabama's not going to make the field. Right. And I think Alabama fans, a lot of them, I don't want to say all of them because there's definitely some, I think a lot of them kind of saw the writing on the wall. This was yeah. not going to be This was not going to be the first two-loss team to break <laughs> into the playoff. Like, that wasn't necessarily going to happen. So we don't have to just make this all about Bama. Right. But I do think that that was worth bringing up. And anybody that continued to say, like, oh, what about this, this, and this, this side-by-side, side, I'm like... This resume just does not hold up, and that's that's the bigger issue with this. And give the selection committee credit. We've we've criticized them in the past when I think they've absolutely deserved to be criticized. Mm-hmm. I thought in this instance they got it right, and I think they got the seedings right too. Has this been the strongest year so far for the playoff committee? Because it kind of feels that way. Like, what, what did they do egregiously wrong this year? Because there were some, like, Oregon was a little bit weird. Honestly, LSU getting as high as they did probably wasn't great. But if, that was probably the worst thing. If, but, like, but they corrected themselves when they lost to AM by right. dropping LSU. No, 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 I know. But that yeah. was, like, the only bold thing they did. And that was a team that, you know, beat Alabama, beat Ole Miss. Like, that's, but that was kind of the only thing, right? Somewhere Tennessee fans are yelling at their, their you know, their phone or their car or something like that. Because they're saying, Tennessee should be ranked ahead of Alabama. And I've already, I've already kind of spoken my piece on that. So I don't need to go in depth too much right, more. yeah. But, but it, like, it doesn't matter. Ultimately, it doesn't matter. You know what I'm saying? Because yeah. like, when we talk about what's the selection committee for, it's determining a national champion. And Tennessee was out, obviously, when they lost to South Carolina the way they did. You know yeah. what I'm saying? So I hate to be this guy, but if you're a Tennessee fan, don't give up 60 to South Carolina. Yes. Agreed. Like, and, and Tennessee being ranked number one ahead of ahead of Georgia in that first ranking, that's based on the data that, that's presented at the time. Yeah, like that goes to show you they had what they needed. Yeah. Like literally, it's like the committee thought you were better than Georgia. So the, their fate right now is up to them. Who loses the most sleep tonight? And then we'll move on to the SEC championship here. Yeah. Who loses the most sleep? USC fans, Tennessee fans, Bama fans. Yeah, because I mean, if Bama even beats LSU in that two-point conversion, we're having a completely different yeah. conversation. Um, I mean, it's still probably Tennessee because... Losing to South Carolina is, that way is way different from losing to LSU still, you know? Yeah. and Or, or Clemson. I should add Clemson to that conversation as well. Yeah. These oh, wow. Yeah. yeah, I think Bama was, of those of those teams, probably the closest because it was a play. They kept yeah. them out, really, if you want to be honest. because And we would be having a better conversation about Ohio State and Bama at that point. But still, it probably is ultimately Ohio State. Probably. Anyway, Utah fans kicking themselves as well. For losing to Florida. <laughs> That's, again, huge day for the... Well, I mean, Georgia is number one, so yeah. Florida Gators can't have a great day. But again, hilarious day for the yeah. Florida Gators. Yeah, Utah still would have had two losses, nonetheless. Yeah. But still, yes. Uh, so we're going to... We'll, we'll talk a little bit more about you know those those matchups itself uh, later in the pod. But let's let's recap the SEC Championship because yeah, man. Uh, the drought is over. Mm-hmm. The long drought. Georgia is SEC champs. Five years ago, mm-hmm. last last time that Georgia won it. I mean, only time that Georgia won an SEC championship in the last 15 years during this stretch in which the SEC has had this this run of dominance. Mm-hmm. Georgia only had one SEC championship to date. They've been to more national championships than they had one SEC championships, which is a weird thing to kind of process. But, mm-hmm. you know, this, this belief that, oh, you know, Georgia doesn't really care about the SEC championship, this... You know, this is just kind oh, no, of they a care. They yeah, care. That's crazy, yeah. Kirby talked afterwards about 
wanting to make sure that no senior leaves his program without at least one SEC title. Mm-hmm. He's like, we're pretty close to doing that. Uh, Georgia really enjoyed this. And yeah, like they're hitting the gritty. They did the, you know, they get the gat, like all that stuff. The damage that 2019 LSU team caused to people. Transfers. Fully three years later, and people are still upset. It makes me, whenever I see people cloud that LSU team, I'm like, oh my God, you've been hurt for three years. That's the best thing you could do is cloud that team. That's I, I, that's the ultimate sign of respect, my Right, opinion. exactly. It's, it's like, you, I kind of forgot we did that. Thank you for reminding me also. They have the most popular dance, I mean, that like in exist on the internet right now is mm-hmm. rooted in 2019 LSU. And Jamar Chase is the one who should really get credit for it, even though it's Justin Jefferson kind of made it more popular, but that's nonetheless. Mm-hmm. Um, I do think that. You know, the way that this played out and you see kind of some of the things that George is doing with Philly Special on the two-point conversion to hit 50 points. Mm -hmm. If I'm an LSU fan, I'm probably like, all right, give me a break. Like, what are... What are we doing here? No, I mean, it's it's big for them. I mean, obviously, like you said, like, you know, they played some really good teams. And so when you get a chance to play a team like LSU that obviously just does not stack up to you, I mean, you got to and, – and you never know if, how the Michigan game would have played out. Um, so that's my thing is, like, championships come, you know, whenever. And I, I would think the way the SEC is going, you're never going to see another 2017 um, Auburn. You're never going to see another 2022 LSU. So you got to get these moments when you can, man. Yeah, I look – I think George is trying to find ways to to keep things spicy a little bit, mm-hmm. and like when you make this, they're, spi- they're spicing up their wins. They're yeah. getting too vanilla. They're spicing up, they're spicing up the marriage a little yeah. bit. <laughs> a little role playing. No, we don't need to go down that road. Um, one of the things I asked Brock Bowers and uh, Cedric Van Pran about afterwards was a pretty simple question: Is is this more fun? Is this year more fun than last year? Do you find yourself having this this anxiety? And I brought up the the Will Anderson comment that he talks about after Tennessee, because I, I think it's a legitimate thing that 18 to 22 year old kids who are told you're going to win a national championship, anything less than that is a failure. I think it's an interesting thing to kind of see the way that they respond to it. And, you know, I appreciated Van Pran having an answer of like, we have tried to find fun in the little things mm-hmm. and even watching film with our guys. Like we try and have fun with doing stuff like that. And we try and avoid this anxiety because we don't want that. We don't want to feel like that. And if you're as good as Georgia is in this day and age, you can't get bored with the mundane. You really can't. Like seeing a player come back from injury, like uh, injury, whatever you want to call it, the Eric Gilbert thing that happens against Vandy. They go Mm -hmm. crazy on the sideline. The Philly special that happens in the SEC championship with A.D. Mitchell getting to throw that pass after Mm -hmm. the year that he's had. They go crazy. They celebrate that. Like you need to break up the routine and – we're going to borrow the, the phrase from Shane Beamer. Find some joy. Oh, yeah. Georgia's found joy in this run because if they didn't, it'd be really easy to kind of take this for granted. It'd be very easy to get stale. And, you know, we're we're all, I think, as spectators, subject to take this run for granted. Mm-hmm. We are. We've seen a variation of it before. Alabama fans, I'm not saying that Georgia is doing what you're what you're doing right now. Like, I'm not, I'm not saying that. But, mm-hmm. like... I'm going to continue to bring this up. They lost in the 2020 cocktail party. And think about this. Since then, they've won 31 of 32 games. Yeah. With the lone loss being one of the best college quarterbacks of the 21st century, having the best game of his career. That's it. Like, in in over two years. So, while you can say, oh, you know, what about the Mizzou struggles? Why do they have the slow start against Georgia Tech? Like, you, you have to be obsessive. Like... I just come back to this belief of we should not overlook what it took to get to 13-0 and mm-hmm. how difficult 
this can be and how easy Georgia made it look at times. Like even the plays, we were talking about this before we came on, even the plays that might seem lucky, you're kind of reminded there's a little bit of luck, mm-hmm. but there's also skill and preparation that goes into some of this stuff. Mm-hmm. The two plays, and the two plays were Will, like as an LSU fan, you're mm-hmm. thinking, it's not already. I think I literally texted you. Yep. It's when that's happening and Georgia gets those kinds of bounces, you mm-hmm. know it's not your day. Well, I, I think they're very different plays. I mean, literally, yeah. so like whenever. <laughs> So whenever uh, LSU forced a three and out, right, on, the, on Georgia's first drive, Georgia punted, and Georgia just hit the crap out of a return man. And all the fans around me were celebrating. And I looked around, and I said, why are you guys celebrating? We're the best special te- We're the worst special teams unit in America. The fact that we didn't fumble that ball was a win for us. Yeah. <laughs> I literally said that. Like I was like, have you guys not seen us play special teams? Do you think Bad. this is a win for you? And, like, literally, we get all the way down the field, and, like, that's the frustrating thing as an LSU fan is, like, you know, LSU put up 550 yards against Georgia. The defense is not what stopped us. It was LSU's own immaturity. And you see in a play like that, I think the field goal is such an exact replica, like a, a mirror of where these teams are. Because you have a team in Georgia that, you know, drills these things, that looks at these things, that says we got to win everywhere we can. And you have a team in LSU that has a terrorist at special teams coach, Brian Polian, uh, who needs to count his days. Um, and they, they don't... They don't but they don't get it. They don't practice those little things. They haven't had enough time in the system. They obviously have a double agent playing coach or as a coach that has failed these boys. And they didn't realize that a field goal block is a live ball. Yep. And these dudes took off. And I remember seeing it live. And I, blocking a field goal alone was like, okay, great. And then I realized on the same play. And like I said, I looked around after that. And I was like, I told you guys, we have the worst special teams in America. How do, you, how do you give up a blocked kick to... Open a lead against Georgia, which I don't know how many teams led against Georgia in the last two years, but it's a very small amount. Yeah. That should have been a team that we were supposed to be up by three, and then you said it seven the other way on a field goal. That is absurd. So again, like that just shows where these teams are. It's not like there's nothing excuses about it. It's literally that one team from the top of the roster to the bottom of the roster is on the same page. Um, and and I'll say this, like, well, go ahead, go ahead, and say what you were about to say. I don't know. Well, yeah, I think so. You look at a play like that, and, mm-hmm. and you bring up a great point about how LSU has really struggled to do the little things, and the little things are special teams this year. And meanwhile, Georgia, Kirby talks about afterwards. They've watched video of guys picking up blocked kicks, mm-hmm. and when it fails, and when they 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 don't recover it, and then the 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 other team retains possession, and they've they've watched that exact scenario. If you look at the replay, like Christopher Smith has this look on his face of like, should I pick it up? Should I pick it up? Should I pick it up? And Kirby always says, only pick up that football if you mm-hmm. think you can score a touchdown. And he realized he could score a touchdown, and boy, he did in fact, yes. oh my god, like easiest touchdown. Of that distance ever, mm-hmm. it, you will not have an easier touchdown than that with LSU like leaving the field. And those are the little things that in a game like that you can't do if you're going to beat a team like Georgia. But this is where we get into the, the like the prep versus the luck thing mm-hmm. because you can look at a couple of those plays and say, ah, Georgia just got lucky. You know, it's a much different game if that doesn't happen. And if then the the play where the interception that lands on on Jack Besh's helmet mm-hmm. and tips up into the air. Georgia picks it on a play where, you know, LSU is deep in its own zone. So that play was when I texted you, like, all right. Yeah, we're cooked. <laughs> it's not <laughs> yeah, it's over with. It's not LSU. So, like, there's luck in that play involved, obviously, because if that ball hits the ground, that's <laughs> we're not having this conversation about that being a game-changing play. It's mm-hmm. an incomplete pass. LSU lives to fight another day. But what is kind of lost in the shuffle of something like that, and Georgia players talked about this afterwards, 
Christopher Smith jumped that exact same route in the opener against Clemson last year, and it was a pick six, and it was the difference in that game. Mm-hmm. And afterwards, Kirby and Stetson and um, and Christopher Smith are all like at the podium, and they're talking about, um, you know, they're, they're talking about this this play. And Kirby says to him, he's like, Chris, how many times have you had to stunt since you've been here? And Smith goes, a ton. And then Kirby harks back to what Mel Tucker, that's right, Mel Tucker, who hasn't been at Georgia since 2018, what he used to say. And he used to say, tips and overthrows. And then Smith finishes Kirby's sentences. He finished his sentence right there. And he says, tips and overthrows, got to get those. Those are the little things right there. When you see that prep playing off, and if Christopher Smith doesn't jump that route, obviously that ball doesn't get tipped. It doesn't have any opportunity to land on the head of Jack Besh. Those moments are so pivotal for this Georgia team. I still think that's a backronym. I mean, if it had been a fumble, Kirby would have been like, yeah, I remember when I was a child growing up in Georgia, and he would have had a I mean, you know what a backronym is, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I it's like when you see an acronym and it gets turned into back. It's like, I think that at the end of the day, Georgia's just a well-coached team. And so when you have like these five-star athletes that are on the same page, good things tend to happen. But I don't think that that's, I mean, like I said, if it hit a guy's noggin. Like, at the end of the day, like, yeah. I, I, but like I said, I would give the field goal a completely different vibe because that was very clearly guys that were on the same page. But it was just as likely when that ball got tipped up that an LSU guy grabbed it because that's how tip balls work. Like, sometimes that's just how it goes. But, yeah, I think... And, like, from from that side of it, like, I got, I got this hoodie. I went to, like, a streetwear festival. Uh, it said, fueled by envy, right? And that's, like, how I feel watching Georgia because I see what they have and I want it. Like, as an SCT fan, as a college football fan, you want what Georgia has. Because at the end of the day, like I said, they, what they do as a team better than ever before is they make the most of their opportunities, yeah. right? And so you have a team in LSU that, like I said, you know, the, the takeaway, and we both were talking like 35, you know, 15 or 30, like 35, 17, like a low scoring game. We have an LSU team that, like I said, even when the game was close, was whooping on offense. It was like... The and, and mind you, like Jaden was hurt, you know what I'm saying? So point being, we have an LSU team that was moving the ball, but the experience starts to show up in those moments. Whenever you're moving the ball against Georgia and you can't get the field goal off, you're, you know, you're moving the ball again, you go forward and forth down, you can't get it. And Georgia just every single time knows what to do. Uh, and, and it's two things. Um, we, we have a lot more to say about the Georgia thing, so I'll do the LSU thing really quick. I mean, like I said, I, I thought about it, you know, when Jaden didn't check back in the second half. And I was like, no, this reminds me just of the 2017 game where you have a player that carried his team on his back. He came into the game very not healthy and he played against a Georgia team that was just better. Um, and so, yeah, I mean, I think it's no coincidence that those two games have gone the same way and the others have not because Jaden was a guy that I mean he had what like three actual rushing attempts and that wasn't because the Georgia defense was dominant because they gave up 550 yards it's the fact that once we saw Jaden out there unable to do the things that he did it wasn't enough to compete with a Georgia offense that was completely wrecking LSU fair I think what's up I was gonna say I think I actually think that Garrett Nussmeyer's style and the way that this played out, and we'll kind of talk a little bit about his short, long-term future. Mm-hmm. His style was what we were talking about in the pregame mm-hmm. of what we hoped a potentially immobile Jaden Daniels would look like. And I thought, right. I thought like very early, Jaden looked all right. And yeah. then there were a couple instances. Oh, there was recently. a point in this game where, yeah. where uh, LSU was outgaining them one sixty to six, and Georgia was winning at that point. That yeah. was the that was the other because because yeah. early it was like LSU was dominating, but that one play happened, and yeah, but no, like Jaden came out and played his butt off. But at the end of the day, I mean, he, like I say, he didn't check in, in the second half. Like he just wasn't healthy. I thought LSU started and finished um, at least offensively 
mm-hmm. really well. Like I actually kind of liked the things that they did. And for the most part, I kind of loved that they were willing to take these chances in the passing game. Like that's why they got all these mm-hmm. these chunk plays. And that seems like a strange spin zone in a game that's ultimately lopsided. But you know, I think that when you see these these moments, you see these receivers on display. You're like, all right, LSU had a little something here. They absolutely did. Mm-hmm. And who knows if that's going to be something that Ohio State uses against Georgia, obviously Georgia's going to try and correct that and try and get some of those things cleaned up. I thought Malachi Starks had a really rough day. Kirby talked about that afterwards. Just a rough day for, for a true freshman who they, they picked on him. We're seeing teams continue to try and pick on Keely Ringo and the coverage style that he plays. Mm-hmm. And LSU did a lot of things that you would hope that they would do. They also couldn't run the football. Yep. Couldn't run the football. And Well, that's what happens when you're leaving. Richard's not healthy. Yeah, I mean that's that's, that's, part <laughs> that's, of it. that's the difference. Like not in the game, not in the game, but in LSU's rushing attack, when your leading rusher is unable to walk, it's pretty rough. Yeah, and, <laughs> and Jay Daniels has been their their source of the ground game. Like he he has been. Right. And so like the the play that I thought was frustrating to the okay so when it's thirty five seventeen right mm-hmm. and Nussmeyer comes in and he's just slinging it. I mean mm-hmm. really really slinging it. And they have an opportunity there to potentially make this a two-score game. They're driving deep into Georgia territory. And all of a sudden, mm-hmm. after it looked like it was going to be over at halftime, they have a pulse. LSU's got some life. Colin Baton Rouge came on in the stadium. Mm-hmm. And you're like, all right, this is what LSU does. They're going to come back. You can't necessarily count them out in a game. That fourth and one, mm-hmm. I have no problem going for it. None. Right. We talked about Brian Kelly. Take some chances. you got nothing to lose. you got three losses. You're not going to a playoff anyways. Mm-hmm. But against the nation's top run defense, who had a healthy Jalen Carter on a day in which you God, could Jaylen not Carter, run the football. Dude. dude, we talked about this. I just want to do a quick thing on him. I saw in real time when he picked up Jaden Daniels and threw up a one at the same time. And I don't think anyone realized it in real time. I've never seen a cooler thing that didn't happen to 2019 LSU. I literally <laughs> have never. Like, I'm saying like in person, like I don't want to be like, oh, this is the best thing I've ever seen. Like the ring thing was pretty cool. But like that was the sickest thing I've seen when I wasn't rooting for my team. You know, because yes. when, when you when you see your team, you try to like sell hopium. I saw that live and I was like, oh my God, that was yeah. fire. Like I looked around, I was like, is no one seeing this? Because it gave up like a third and 13, like third and 16 after that. And it was like, we're cooked. That's fine. Like there's nothing we're going to do after that. That Those are the moments in which you realize, oh, this, this, this isn't happening. They have different species of human beings yes. on their roster right yes. now. And like you, you, you really can't do anything in that spot. In, on fourth and one, you can not run the ball at Jalen Carter is what you can do. Right. It's how you should Well, I would argue this, and like to the to the point, you know, this game would probably be a little bit like more vanilla if it was a situation where Georgia's defense locked LSU down. Um it, what everyone kinda of thought would happen would be that, you know, Jaden being hurt couldn't move the ball and then Nussmeyer obviously couldn't move the ball. They both had over two hundred yards. But the fact is in that moment, you still have to respect Georgia's defense. And I actually like that call because at the end of the day it's like, well, LSU's line play was shockingly good in this game, and that's what kept them from not getting completely embarrassed on one side of the ball. Now, I want to take a quick break because I know I've, I've not stressed this enough. Georgia's offense, this is the best offensive game I think we've seen from Georgia. I mean, their offense was like dynamite, dynamite, dynamite. Whenever, after the first three and out, every time they needed anything from our offense, it was like a hot knife through butter. It was, it was. Bowers. It was McConkie. It was any, it, anybody could get it, bro. And like you look at Stetson's line, it always is just a little bit under 300, but the four touchdowns, they He's ran right. the ball well, the game plan was well. I'm literally like, I understand why this game happened the way it was. I'm not, you know, selling hopium here, but I'm saying that it goes from, you know, if you're Nussmeyer, right, in that spot, you're a backup quarterback for LSU. 
I don't trust Nussmeyer against Georgia's DBs. And so point being, you know, yeah, they had kind of been burnt toast all day and the, and the run defense had been better, but I think you got to trust Josh Williams. You got to trust your line. And the lineman fell down. That's why he didn't get in. Okay, how about this? Go under center? Don't go out of shotgun? Yeah. Well, see, you know, we talked about this with Josh Heupel, right? So when your whole offense is out of the shotgun, you yeah. don't want your guy changing it then. You know what I'm saying? Like, I saw that and I was like, look, all we got to do is run the ball. Because like I said... If you had told me before the game that LSU's two freshman left tackles held up against Georgia's line the way they did, yeah. you would have called me crazy. And so in that moment, I was like, dude, we're pushing them. Like, we're, we're going to have to push this ball because they almost pushed it in the play before. So, like, there were parts in that game where I was just like, yeah, LSU looks like they belong here. And then there were parts where I was like, oh, my God, Georgia is just horrified. Yeah. And then, of course, they respond for that. Like, with, with like a 99-yard drive. Yeah. That's the point. Is it's, it was both things. It was like when Georgia needed a stop, they got it every time. And then it was like, okay, well, I guess, yeah, first and 99, let's do yeah. this. It was just, what, four minutes later there in the end zone. Like, they, they flip a game so quickly. Yep. It's it's unbelievable. And, like, the, the what was it? The screen pass that they had early on. Was it to Rosemary Jackson? I can't remember. Um, but how pivotal a play like that was when they're deep in their own territory and it's looking like it's looking like LSU's really gonna make this kind of a sixty minute game and that's that was the plan of attack for LSU. Yeah. Try and force Georgia to play in a sixty minute game and failing on that fourth and one play was like that that was also that yeah. was truly all she wrote and you knew the game was over. Um Nussmeyer. Oh, cool. Before we get to some Georgia things here, and I promise we will get to some more Georgia things. He's got a very interesting next couple weeks next couple years yeah if Jaden daniels says i'm coming back does garrett nussmeyer one strike while the iron is hot and say look what i just did against that georgia defense mm-hmm. i'm gonna go on the transfer portal market i think he would absolutely have a power five market mm-hmm. i do i don't think there's any question about that and does he say I need to go try and find a place where I know I'm going to play because I can't remember. I think it might have been Brody Miller who brought this up. Like Garrett Nussmeyer is the least Brian Kelly quarterback ever with the chances that he takes. <laughs> yeah. He ain't Ian Book, all right. Yeah. That's, that's not what he is. Good. Um, <laughs> right? I mean, but like LSU, LSU kind of needs that. And this this yeah. team's identity. Um, well, and you saw how radically the game changed when he got in because suddenly those DBs weren't beat, getting beat for ten yards; they were right. getting beat. But for 50 yards. You know what I'm saying? And that's different. But see, that the crazy thing about that, and that's what makes me feel so weird about Nussmeier. So quickly on the Nussmeier thing, and um, I just want to say again, obviously LSU got destroyed this game. No one's debating that. But the Nussmeier thing is weird, right? Because he's looked really, really, really bad um, before this game. Not Okay, let me take a step back. Here's what goes into that. There was a really weird fan debate between these two quarterbacks, and Sometimes it can be a little bit racial, it can be a little bit whatever, but if you didn't think Jaden was the guy from the start, I don't know what to tell you. If you watched the FSU game and you didn't think Jaden was the best chance we had to win all year, the thing that's tough about this game is that it gives the Nuss believers like vindication that they they thought they're right the whole time. Yeah. And the thing that's tough (laughs) you don't know how crazy some of these people are. You don't like literally like you it's weird. But point being um, where I go with that is that with, with the Georgia thing, it's like it either all matters or it doesn't, right? It's either that you care enough about this game to go for two and you care enough about this game to do all this extra stuff or, you know what I'm saying, you can't say, oh, Georgia didn't care, so we got 300 yards passing. And so that's what makes this really interesting is that, okay, well, and, and the other thing I was going to say is that Kirby and the DBs. Like, Kirby takes DB play really seriously. I'm not going to insult Georgia by saying they weren't trying. He said it was unacceptable afterwards. That's what like, I'm saying. What like, like I'm not going to insult Georgia by being like, Kirby has allowed them to get off the gas. So, no. like, point being with Nussmeyer is, like, 
I don't know what we have in Nussmeyer. Because if you told me he was going to go play against Georgia, I'm thinking three picks. I'm thinking there's no way he's hitting these deep balls. So it makes you feel good. But to your point, maybe it's a situation where Brian Kelly is like, hey, dude, I don't really like you. You can just get on out of here. We got these new guys coming in. But it's a really good point. I, I really hadn't thought about that. And what, you know, I was talking to some people in the press box about this as well. It's like, all right, so what, what's, what's next for him? Because if Jaden comes back, does he take a page out of the Carson Beck playbook <laughs> and say, I'm going to stay for year three. Remember, year yep. three. That's yep. a long time. When you're a former blue chip quarterback, three years is a long time to be told, hey, you're never going to be anything more than a backup. Mm-hmm. Wait your turn, wait your turn, wait your turn. You don't know also at the same time if you're going to go into year four. And Miles Brennan, you know, this is a, he's a guy that did this as well. Mm-hmm. You don't know if you're going to go into year four and all of a sudden you're going to have you know, a transfer portal guy come in yep. when you've been told all this time you need to wait and you're you're the depth guy. So that's that's the issue moving forward because I think Jaden Daniels is coming back to school. You think so? I think he's coming back to school. If I had to guess, if I had to guess, and again, I have no sort of specific insight on this. That That's just my overall read based on kind of where he's being evaluated. He could very well go to the NFL, but in this day and age in which NIL money is there, he mm-hmm. can come back for a team that would be preseason top five, preseason top 10, there is definitely a case to be made because he's not NFL ready, in my opinion. For sure. He's not. No, and I think we saw part of that when he couldn't use his legs. That he, he was, Nussmeyer was a more advanced passer, weirdly, on that day. And then you got the Walker Howard thing, which like I think LSU is in a good situation regardless because I, at this point, I actually kind of trust Brian Kelly, which is a new feeling. Yeah. Uh, what, what a great feeling, though. <laughs> right? Yeah, I mean, facts. That's, that's a good thing. Um, yeah, so if Brian Kelly looks up and has both of those guys on his roster at SEC Media Days, one thing to happen in the spring, Yep. but if you got him on your roster at SEC Media Days, I'd be very, very surprised if yep. he had both of them. So that, 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 in my opinion, is kind of the next big step uh, for this LSU team, who still, in my opinion, is going to be set up very well. If you can keep Matt House, we talked about Hester, we talked about that with Hester and whether or not he's going to become, you know, a, a head coach, maybe at the Group of Five level or something like that. That's that's in his plans. He wants to be able to do that. We'll kind of wait and see how that plays out. But if you keep him, I'd be super encouraged because this LSU team is going to lose some pieces. You're going to lose Kayshawn Booty, likely. You're losing, probably going to lose BJ Ojolari. We'll kind of wait and see mm-hmm. which one of those, you know, guys from the defensive backfield you lose. Which you know, those a lot of those guys are transfer portal guys anyway. So, but at the same time, you don't feel if you're an LSU fan like, oh. We, we're going to have to overcome some massive loss and we're going to feel this whole... They don't have a, a Traylon Burks, Arkansas-like yep. absence that they're going to have to address immediately. And that's probably the most encouraging thing for this year one of the Brian Kelly era. Yeah, for sure. Um, man, how do you cover Brock Bowers? Sorry, man, just, how do you do I'm it? Just, how do you I'm do just, it? I, yeah, like we're, we're there in LSU. Like I think they played well. They played fine. Uh, I think their defense played horribly and I think Georgia whooped them. Like I think it's pretty clear. Like Georgia's just like a wagon, as the kids say. And so it's just like I said, we got to get the positives at LSU because it, the fact that they scored 30, I think is awesome. The fact that they gave up 50 is insane. But again, that goes to every micron, every inch of Georgia being on the same page and like i said i'm envious i want to get there i want to have the four recruiting classes where guys come back the culture all this stuff it's just and i'm not using it as a crutch it's just a fact it's impossible to do you know in year one and and that's why georgia fans i'm sure would have loved to play tcu instead of ryan day because at the end of the day you get a first year coach you can't instill that culture you have these freshmen you have these transfers and when you run into a team like georgia dude you need like 
not only do you need the recruiting, but you need the coordinating, you need stars, you need everything to go your way because Georgia has gone from a team at this point that you could kind of catch them and they would start reeling to a team that like, oh, no, 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 no. You're going to need to play their style and beat them at it. Yeah, which good luck. Good luck doing that with what they're currently doing. And so what I don't want to do is say that this team is historically great just yet because I don't think that competition is, is, is elite. And that's not just because... Alabama isn't part of this this path that Georgia has to a national championship this year. Mm-hmm. And maybe subconsciously there is something to be said for that. But I've kind of maintained my belief that there's a difference between saying that this, this is a historic run versus this specifically is a historic team. Right. I think they are really, really good. I do. I, and I, I think, you know, if I'm picking today, yeah, of course, Georgia would be my favorite to win a national championship. I still think that they have some issues, as we talked about with the LSU passing game, what they were able to do in this. They've had their their moments of offensive lulls in which it hasn't been there for a full 60 minutes throughout every single game against lesser competition. We know that. Mm -hmm. But it's incredible to consider this. And I I think this this accomplishment is one, one of the more miraculous things that any Georgia fan could have ever possibly hoped for during the Kirby Smart era. 15 players lost to the NFL draft. Yep. 10 players transferred to Power 5 programs. <laughs> not just, oh, they're not going to play anywhere. 10 of your guys transferred to Power 5 programs since the the regular season finale last year. All right? That's unbelievable. And they didn't use a transfer portal. Mm-hmm. Kirby Smart has been very vocal about that. Let us say the hymn of Alabama fans <laughs> together, Connor. We don't rebuild. We reload. Reload. That's where Georgia's at right now. Look, man, like all those things. Oh, by the way, you lose Nolan Smith. Season-ending injury. He's gone. Yeah, it's just the dude that you thought you had that you don't anymore. Yeah. All of those things in this, this Georgia team becomes the first ever to start Mm 13-0. That's incredible. It truly is. I went back and found the teams in the playoff era who started 13-0 after winning a national title, which that's actually pretty common. There's five of those now, including Georgia. Mm-hmm. So that is start 13-0 after winning a national championship. 2014, Florida State did it, and I realized that 2013, their title wasn't during the playoff era, but whatever, stay with me on this. Yeah. 2016, Bama did it. 2018, Bama did it. 2019, Clemson did it. And obviously, 2022, Georgia just accomplished that. Programs. Programs. They are. And they all probably <laughs> preached about that. Oh, you know, it's reload, it's reloading. You probably heard that word more than you can count. But Georgia's the true embodiment of that, and it's not even close. Look at the draft production lost Mm -hmm. compared to Georgia. 2014 Florida State had one first-rounder that they lost, seven draft picks. 2016 Bama, one first-rounder, seven draft picks. 2018 Bama, four first-rounders, 12 draft picks, a little bit more. 2019 Clemson, three first-rounders, six draft picks. 2022 Georgia, five first-rounders, 15 draft picks, and none of those teams had to deal with the transfer portal being a one-way street the way that this Georgia team did. Mm-hmm. It's not supposed to look like this. It's just not. Georgia faced five teams who are currently in the top 25 in the playoff poll. All of them were decisive wins. Mm-hmm. All of them. I mean, Georgia ranked 122 out of 131 FBS teams in percentage of returning defensive production. And they had the number one scoring defense in America entering this weekend. Mm-hmm. It's unbelievable. It's truly a testament to what Kirby Smart has become because he has figured it out. And he will have figured it out even if they don't win a national championship. Even if they don't win a national championship, Stetson talked about it after. They hang banners for what Georgia just did to mm-hmm. win an SEC championship. 
And that to me is just one of these things that can be taken for granted in this era of playoff, playoff, playoff. It's all about this all the time. That was that's hard. That is so hard to do what they just did. And even if Georgia doesn't become the fourth team since 1980 to repeat as national champs, that's right, only three teams since 1980 have repeated as national champs. It is so hard in this sport. Mm-hmm. Like this, this team still deserves so much praise for what they have done. And if there's the championship DVD, <laughs> Jalen Carter holding up Jaden Daniels with one arm and the so one and the other. freaking sick, dude. That's an iconic so image. Sick. Like, literally had to take off the hater hat for a second. Just, <laughs> that's special. Yeah, I mean, so... Uh, you know what's funny about this? In a way, and, and you know what? No, I don't care. This is right. I don't care. In a way, this vindicates Kirby for the way he has managed his quarterback situation. Where you talk about having even point. even from over Fields, because let me tell you, let me tell you why. One of the most interesting conversations I've ever observed in my life was I got my mom and my stepdad talking, and I asked them a pretty simple question. And they're both business owners. My mom sells real estate. My stepdad builds houses. A lot more of a structural business than my stepdad has. And I said, "Would you guys rather have A level talent with B level commitment, or?" B-level talent with A-level commit. And they went back and forth for an hour and a half on that because my mom's a real estate fascinating. And she goes, well, no, I want stars. I want stars that are going to win me games. That's the NBA mentality, okay? Kirby Smart has the other mentality, like my stepdad. He has, I don't care if you have A-level talent. If your buy-in is a B-level, if your buy-in is a C-level, you know, if you're a transfer that couldn't cut it somewhere else that wants to get get paid and go to the NFL, I don't want you here. I would rather stick with Stetson Bennett. I would rather stick with Jake Fromm because look what Stetson Bennett's done. He's done exactly what Kirby Smart's goal is. It's not to get guys to the NFL, which he's done. He's done that better than nearly anyone. His goal is to win college football games. Yeah. And when you're managing these guys, you know, they have to have the trust in you. So you talk about these guys sitting on the bench and learning, okay? He's not going to have guys come in and upset you know, the apple card. He's not going to have guys think it's a me first thing. And so when you talk about rebuilding or reloading, when you talk about the program, Kirby Smart has done things his way in the way that Florida fans used to make fun of him. Bama fans used to make fun of him. How could you start Stetson Bennett? That guy's 25. This is why. Because it's not about recruiting stars. It's not about touchdown passes. It's about you just hung 50 on LSU. Yeah. That's, <laughs> like, that's would what you, you want to do. Would you rather have your quarterback throw, you know, five touchdowns and have, you know, 35 points like Drake May does? Or would you rather have your team score 50 points and have Stetson Bennett get under 300 because everybody's rocking and rolling? So as dumb as it sounds, and I know this is revisionist, but that's why he's made all these decisions and he was right. Yes, and you could still say you. I think you could still say that, and also point out that using Justin Fields like a running back, like he was used during that season, having him as the butt of the joke on the fake punt. Play, oh yeah, he used bad. Justin Fields horribly. And yes. the argument is, why would you recruit Justin Fields if he wasn't one of your guys? That's the other part of it. Is like you decided that was one of your guys when you offered him a scholarship, so you should have managed that a little bit differently. But that's the thing. Kirby's like stubbornness has turned into all these guys taking the reins and not having to go do what Alabama's done and get some Trey Burtons and get some, you know, well, Jameer Gibbs. Think about this, man. Like, this time last year, we're doing a post-SEC championship pod, mm-hmm. and we're talking, like, is Stetson ever going to win a big game? Right. Is he ever going to... they got to go to JT Daniels in the playoffs, right? Yep. And to think about where that guy has come from to where he is right now, it is the stuff of legend. And you see Aaron, you know, Aaron Murray, who, by the way... Um, I told him I like my steak medium rare. He he may or may not owe me one for the Alabama thing uh, when I'm not getting the playoff. Um, but you see him tweeting in the middle of this game, Stetson's the best quarterback in Georgia history. 
it's becoming increasingly difficult to argue against that. And I can say that as someone who, look, he doesn't have the NFL prowess of a Matt Stafford. He doesn't have the four-year career as a starter like Aaron does. There are things that you could point to, and it, don't, don't give me the Buckaloo stuff. Don't, I'm not giving that. <laughs> no, it's, yeah, come on. Setson's had to throw the football more than six times in a game. Um, so it is fascinating to see the way that he has been able to grow because there's never been any point this year in which you've really said, should Stetson still be the starting quarterback? And I came into this year saying, look, I realize he won you a national championship. He's your guy, unquestioned, no matter what. Mm-hmm. But if you're Kirby, you can't waste a chance to win a national championship based on your loyalties to Stetson Bennett. If he starts to struggle this year, if he doesn't look like the guy that he was down the stretch last year, you have to be willing to make that move and say, all right, do we need to go to a Carson Beck? He's probably never had to spend more than 10 seconds thinking about that, Mm -hmm. which is truly baffling. Mm -hmm. And Stetson has put himself in that position. And man, that was a a heck of a performance. He was dialed in. Stetson against these elite elite teams, man, he he gets up for him. He really does. And Munkin gets in his bag a little bit more. I agreed with Marler's point. I'm starting to agree with Marler's point more and more about like Munkin's game plan against these top 25 teams and how he's kind of willing to empty the bag a little bit more than mm-hmm. he does against a Mizzou or something like he that. He was hiding all the good plays. <laughs> we saw the good plays, brother. Right, <laughs> they were scary. Philly special when he pulls that out. like oh my It was God. thrown to a lot of uh, creatures from outer space and Dude. looking at their, them being wide open and being like, who was supposed to cover that guy? Yeah. Well, you can't because he's 6'8". So. <laughs> oh, confirmed, by the way. Once again, confirmed. Darnell Washington, bigger in person than what he looks like on TV. Yep. Much bigger in person. So next to him, he is um, on paper a foot taller than me. I disagree with that. I think he's three feet taller than me. He he is three times the size of me. And to think that he can just be, you know, floating in the back of the end zone and Stetson just finds him. For I was about to touchdown. say, I did remember that correctly. His touchdown was him just standing there and it's like, oh my goodness. He was streaking. He was moving. But yeah. well, like, but he was like, why? It's like, how do you defend that? If there was a guy there, what would he have done? <laughs> oh, that, so the two-point conversion, he was just like standing No, no, no. There. I'm talking about the touchdown. Yeah, so, because that was, wasn't that like a, it was like a post or like a like a slant that where, where he's in the back of the end zone. Right, yeah, but I'm saying he's like moving across and he just yeah. caught it. Like there was not a guy near him and it's like, what was that guy supposed to do? Is my point. It's yeah, like, if, you're how even, if you knew they were going to run that play, yes. how would you have stopped it? Is my point. If you're an over-the-top safety, and I always go back to uh, what was it like the like the Terrell Owens Green Bay Packers play it was NFC Championship 1997 or 1998, whatever it was, and uh, <laughs> and To makes that play where he just gets mauled by those two Packer defenders coming over the top, and there was like you, there was nothing you physically could have done to separate <laughs> To from the football. Good luck separating Darnell Washington from a football. There was a play. Literally, Brock Bowers had a catch like in the third or fourth quarter, and he, held, he caught like five, four yards and like fell backwards. It ended up being a four-yard game, and I was like, that's the best you could really do because every other catch was like 20, and it's like it's just they insane. have so many of those lads. And then every once in a while, you'll just have like a Kendall Milton that you're just like, oh, this guy's also unstoppable today. This is great. The Macintosh is awesome. Yeah. <laughs> when they're setting the edge like that, getting A.D. Mitchell back, I think that's really important because Lad McConkey goes out. You lose McConkey, you lose your starting right, right tackle as well in this game. We'll kind of wait and see what it looks like with four weeks to be able to to kind of heal up. But getting AD Mitchell back and feeling good with like full reps, yeah, that's so important for this team. And you know, we're ultimately going to probably like I know I just said we need to appreciate three thirteen and zero. We really do need to appreciate that. We're judging Georgia on a different scale than everyone else. Yeah, and I think too, and like let me know if there's anything that this kind of like puts all the points together. But it's like 
as a Georgia fan, like I said, it's just kind of it's kind of whack that you got to play Ohio State because I just feel like I, like they have done so much. Like it feels like they're clearly the best team in college football. And I know if you are that, you should still prove it. It's not like you got to be scared of anyone, but it's like you got a TCU team that you would have wrecked. You have a Michigan team that plays a similar style to you, and maybe 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 their quarterback is a little bit better. But you're not going to sell me anything else they do is better. And it's like and then you have Ohio State, which is like they got these dudes and they just forget to cover guys. And it's like at least it'll be a more entertaining game. I feel because if it was going to be TCU and then Michigan, brother. Uh, those Georgia fans could have booked those Natty tickets pretty quickly. <laughs> yeah, look, and I, I, I think there's something to be separate. Let's let's talk about the play. Yeah, let's talk about the playoff matchups now. Um, I think the way that this sets up for Georgia is fascinating because Ohio State is a little bit different than anything that they have faced during this playoff run, and yeah. maybe there are similarities to um, what they had to get through last year in the national championship against Alabama, but at the same time. If Jackson Smith and Jigba is healthy, mm-hmm. covering those receivers is going to be the big question because Marvin Harrison Jr. has just had a whale of a season. Yep. And he's been a phenomenal player. Say what you want about Ohio State's toughness, all these different things. But they have still shown, all right, they have this gear. They still were the number two scoring offense in all of college football. Mm-hmm. We're going to dissect what Georgia did to struggle against LSU's passing attack and say, all right, that's the plan of attack for Ohio State. It still, though, comes down to whether or not Ohio State is tough enough to play 60 minutes with Georgia. Yep. I just wanted to say really quick, I made that point about Georgia's DBs earlier for a good reason. Okay, I was talking to my buddy about this the other day. It's like, the way that Michigan beat Ohio State, you could never beat Georgia that way. Never. Because Kirby would be throwing players off the field if they left that guy. (laughs) Those many people have those many long touchdowns. It was like, so it was like, yeah, like... Yeah, you could argue that like Michigan and and uh, Georgia are similar teams, but it's like yeah, like at the end of the day, like you just can't <laughs> like Georgia's DBs against those receivers. And you know what? Never mind. As a, as a neutral college football fan, that's a dope matchup because at it the is. end of the day, you know Tennessee comes to town and it's this high flying offense. So you see Georgia's DBs lock it in, and it's yeah. like so. So it's two things, right? It's that the DBs now have a week that they can get yelled at. Yeah. Which is a nightmare if you're Ohio State. It kind of sets up well for Georgia. The way that's that what I'm saying. Out. Like yeah. they have a week because you know it's like it's like now Kirby is going to be like, okay, we just gave up you know 30 to this not very good LSU team. It, it's like you guys got to get it together because it's not going to work against Ohio State. But on the other side of it, the offense showed so much that they feel like they could probably hang with Ohio State. You know what I'm saying? Which would, would be the big question if you're an Ohio State fan. You'd be like, how's Stetson Bennett going to keep up with Stroud? It's like, brother, he just scored 50 on LSU's yeah. defense oh, that yeah. like. Just grabbed Matt House and ripped him out of the Royals. <laughs> I mean, look, look, Ohio State fans were saying, "How is JJ McCarthy going to keep up with CJ Stroud when they don't have Blake Blake Corum in that game?" Right. Found a way. Found yeah. a way. And you can beat Ohio State going over the top. So that's why I think the AD Mitchell return yep. is also really pivotal. Pivotal. And if they're able to get him back at looking like himself and get Rosemary Jack Saint involved, like Arian Smith, like these these guys who you know we we've talked about being kind of these spot players here and there and having these these bright moments. But that's the key against this Ohio State team. And I'm fascinated to see what kind of response Ohio State has. Do they, a team that was on the outside looking in, if not for the USC loss, do they come back and look like 2017 Bama? That's the question. 2017 Bama loses a rivalry game to Auburn, obviously that game being played on the road, a little bit different than getting embarrassed by a rival at home. But Bama loses that game in 2017 in the Iron Bowl. And then we're debating whether or not they deserve to make, make it to the playoff. It's back and forth. And UCF fans are being heard all over the place. But Bama gets in. And all Bama needed to do was get in. Right. And they played a Clemson team that 
I thought they had a very favorable matchup with what Bama was defensively that season and the way that they were able to kind of get after Kelly Bryant, make life difficult in a way that no other team on that schedule could for him. Wow, a trend that we've seen play itself out is Clemson with a good quarterback and Clemson with just like an okay to put... Like an elite quarterback versus a pretty good quarterback. Yeah, Because like even Kelly Bryant looked a lot like Uyunglele like back then and we were just like, oh, off here, like whatever. Yeah, no, it's... it's, But it's it's interesting thinking about what, what... kind of psyche does your team have when you when you're told by everybody it's over it's mm-hmm. done it's stick a fork in it and then all of a sudden you find out okay and Ohio State probably on Friday night knew all right we're getting in <laughs> well USC lost we're getting in mm-hmm. so now do you flip that that switch a switch that my many people myself included thought Ohio State had and do you all of a sudden look like the best possible version of yourself can you do that mm-hmm. in a four-team playoff? That's the danger of facing Ohio State, obviously, is whether or not we're going to see the best possible version of them and if Jim Knowles can make those corrections after getting humbled like that against Michigan. Yeah, so and like, like I said, it, it squarely comes down to Georgia's DBs. comes down to Ringo and the way he's been playing. It's like, you know, Kirby's in there saying, you know, hey, you got the NFL to worry about? I understand that. We need you for two more games, big dog. You can't be playing five, ten yards off of guys. You can't be gambling. You need to lock these dudes down and show why you should be the number one corner taken. Like, because they have the personnel. That's the thing. We saw it against Tennessee. They had the personnel to make those receivers look like bums for a whole day like and obviously these receivers at Ohio State are a little bit better but how much better can you really be than Tennessee's receivers I mean yeah. those are three NFL players uh, yeah you know? I mean it, yeah I mean you can kind of go back and you can you can debate that a little I think and it's at home as well team. but yeah. hey the Atlanta curse is now over apparently sure. Way so over. like that was the funny thing too that I heard from Georgia fans at like the pre-pod and like you guys know I love y'all I hung out with Georgia fans all day but it was like oh well Georgia never got to play Saban at home it's like bro I was in that environment thinking to myself, how did we win here in 2019? Right. <laughs> it was, what, 80-20 Georgia fans? Probably about that. Yeah, and LSU fans are just loud. That's the yeah. thing. Like, it was a small, angry, <laughs> little yellow yeah. stripe. But if it's like that, you know what I'm saying? It's, you know, hour and a half, few hours down the road. It's like, you guys should eat in this building, bro. Like, this what is a think? home game. View it as a home game. I, I, I would think. And I would think that that favors that favors Georgia for sure. No doubt about it. And an Ohio State team that has just kind of lacked that, lack, lack that toughness that is advantage Georgia. But the, the question that that Georgia is asking itself internally, and Brock Bowers brought this up in the post game. He said, you know, what we what we said in that locker room was... Why do we why do we need a loss to figure things out? They right. got the loss to figure things out last year in the SEC championship, and right. they got to correct those issues. Can we just win them all? Can right. we just win them all? And Ohio State gets the benefit of the loss of everything of when we look our worst. This is what it looks like. Georgia doesn't have that yet. Do they consider Mizzou a loss and just treat it like that? Like I, I don't know, and we're maybe not going to be able to answer that. And we'll play the results because that's what we do. All right. But that's that's a fascinating dynamic of, of can this Georgia team, as Brock Bauer said, find a new gear, find another new gear, because that's what it's going to take to get to 15 and all. I'm excited for this playoff. I really I, am. Yeah, I'm looking at her. I mean, I got to go look at like some PFF stuff. And it's so hard to tell with Ohio State. I'm not even slandering them here, but like they don't even play teams like Georgia. So like I could bet I could look at their PFF numbers and they have like a top five offensive line in the country. But it's like, do you really big dog? Yeah. And so like, I mean, that that's the one more question I'll ask you about that matchup. Is like, how do you feel like those the offensive, the Ohio State offensive line will... Fair against you know Carter and the Georgia defensive line. Well, as long as Jalen Carter's healthy, that's advantage Georgia. It just is. Like yeah. th- there there is nothing that you can do from a game plan standpoint to to just say like, all right, 
Like we're we're just gonna assume that we're fine against Georgia when it rushes four. We're just gonna assume that everything's okay. Mm-hmm. If you're not making those extra precautions, then I, I think you're doing a team a disservice. I, yeah. I really do. And I, I would think that Georgia has that advantage up front. Carter has just played at such a disruptive level, not only against the run, but I mean, his, his PFF grades were better rushing the passer this year than I think against the run. Last I checked on that, which is just... They probably don't run into him, I feel. His, his grades against the run are against three dudes, and they're oh. just hugging him like, brother, please. Oh, God. He's a machine. He yeah. absolutely is. But yeah, I'm looking forward to it. First time we're getting this matchup. Yep. You know, all the times that Georgia and Ohio State, it feels like they've been in the playoff, and their pass have never... You know, their, their paths have never crossed. So yeah. it's going to be great. Looking forward to it. Before we talk about some Heisman stuff uh, to close up, let's take a quick break. Talk about our friends at Underdog. Hey, so you know how sports betting, it isn't legal in all these states like Georgia, Alabama, Florida, South Carolina, etc. In other words, most of the SEC states. I want to talk to you about Underdog Fantasy. You may have tried Daily Fantasy in the past, but Underdog is a new platform that's extremely popular right now, and they have some awesome college football contests where you can compete for real money. It's a great way to scratch that sports betting itch. Maybe your team's out of it right now. Maybe you're trying to figure out, all right, like you're, you're an Alabama fan, you're a Clemson fan, you're going to be watching these games painfully. Get over to Underdog. I promise they will take care of you. We have an exclusive agreement with them right now. If you go to SaturdayDownSouth.com slash Underdog, you can automatically double your deposit when you join. Sign up, throw in 50 bucks, they'll throw in 50 more dollars. It's a great way to get some money to play on these contests. So college football, we talk about props every single week of over-unders. We do that on the preview pods. You know, if you have Stetson Bennett, over-under 200 passing yards, all right? Pretty similar to sports betting player props. You can put real money on the line. And yes, this is legal and live in states like Alabama, Georgia, Florida, Texas, etc. Okay, so just looks at some of the ones for Monday Night Football. I'm 10 and 4 on these, by the way. I'm hot. I'm fired. Just start sending those in when I ask for your picks. Right? Just, yeah, negate the picks. The you picks. guys want money? You want a fun graphic? I always yeah. say it. Graphics are whatever. Like, you can comment <laughs> on graphics. It's good for the engagement. If I have a really bad record, that's exactly. totally why I've tanked this. Although, I did go 5-0 and on championship weekend. Just mm-hmm. saying. Finish up strong, just as Nick Saban says. All right. Monday Night Football. Mike Evans, under 68 and a half receiving yards because I think Marshawn Lattimore is back. Who can say, Connor, really? I mean, I, the tweet I saw yesterday from Nick was like, if he plays. That's, that's automatic, season. right? Yeah. If he plays. <laughs> if he plays, it's automatic. Well, yeah, exactly. If Marshawn Lattimore has a pulse, Mike Evans will not get 68.5 receiving yards. And then Chris Olave over 58.5 receiving yards. That feels really low. That feels really low. Yeah. You get that one play. Yeah, I mean, really, you're betting against Andy Dalton with those odds makers, right? But yeah, at the end of the day, like I said, look at you betting on the Saints. Right? Wow. I'm about it. I'm, I'm not bold it. enough to do that, but I try. <laughs> I think those are two good ones. Yeah. One in Rome. I realize we're in Atlanta, but I'm in Casa de Will, so it all makes sense. Mm-hmm. All right, guys, that's it. Underdog's awesome. Super fun to do while you're watching college football or any other sport in your living room, and you can win some real money. Go to SaturdayDownSouth.com slash underdog. Take advantage of our promo where Underdog will double your first deposit up to $100. Get $100 absolutely free, saturdaydownsouth.com slash underdog. Let's close with some Heisman stuff, Will. So, <laughs> this is a mess. <laughs> this is an absolute mess. I'll save the full kind of like breakdown recap after the voting comes out. But goodness gracious, it couldn't have been a more mm-hmm. muddied weekend for the Heisman discussion. Yep. Right? Like, I think Caleb Williams had a chance to put that discussion to bed in pretty overwhelming fashion on Friday night. I think if he comes out, they win that game. Maybe if he doesn't get hurt, I think that conversation is pretty easy and there's really not a whole lot of debate about it amongst those 
who are going to be deciding this week. Um, will he still win? I don't know. I really don't know. Max Duggan looked like a warrior. <laughs> and yeah. there, if there was ever a great Heisman image, it's with his face kind of a different shade of pale, whatever it was, where he looked like he just left it all out on that field on Saturday. Mm-hmm. And he's had a phenomenal year. There's no debate about it. But not winning that game, how does that impact him? I don't yeah, I mean, know. his brand was as a winner, too. That's the tough thing about yeah. that, is that, like, you know, it didn't always look great, but he found a way to get it done. It's like, well, you know, sometimes you just run into that game, yeah. Blake Corum, Hendon Hooker both get hurt yeah. at the end of the season. Drake May kind of falls apart down the stretch. And the guy who, ironically enough, has the most Heisman moment, over the weekend at least, was Stetson. I mean, I've I've shared my thoughts on this already of why I thought Stetson's Heisman chances were... Um, probably off the table weeks ago when he had that, what, three-game stretch without a touchdown pass. Mm -hmm. That's usually kind of a deal-breaker if you're trying to win the top individual award in the sport. Um, 27 total touchdowns, even after Saturday. Every Heisman-winning quarterback has had at least 40 pre-Heisman touchdowns. So, just saying. Uh, There was a... You talk about, like, the the selflessness of, of Georgia, and this kind of speaks to the... The culture of the program, whatever you want to call it. There's Georgia beat writer. The Georgia way. <laughs> Georgia way. We're going to get so sick of this in like a year or so, know, but right? until then I love it. Because I, I'm just honestly tired of it being Alabama, so I'm just like, let's pile on the Georgia way. That's the way to do it. It's going to feel really similar. <laughs> real soon. Yeah. It will. Yeah, but, Georgia fans, y'all got to get used to being the good team, man. Don't be so sensitive. Y'all, go, yeah. y'all whooping everybody, man. Come on. <laughs> we got to be able to make fun of you, because if not, you imagine if you couldn't make fun of Alabama, how sad our lives would be. Georgia's got to come up with a with a dance that's like the gritty. Yeah. They get, they get the gat. And mm-hmm. They come up with something like that, and then everybody will get to mock that moving forward. Exactly. That's that's, that's how it goes. That's a circle of life now. That's branding. That's the way college football works. So there's this Georgia beat writer who asked uh, who asked Kirby in the postgame presser if he would bang the drum for Stetson to win the Heisman, and Stetson sort of rolled his eyes and put his hand out to Kirby. It was like, look, it was as if he was saying, "You don't have to do that. Don't like let's. That's not what I'm here to do." And you're gonna hear a lot of different arguments all over the place. Some mm-hmm. will probably be for Stetson. It could be the most wide open Heisman decision in a long time. Probably since at least 2015, I looked back at the voting that year. Deshaun got 148 first place votes, finished third behind McCaffrey and um, and Derrick Henry. And by the way, 148 first place votes is a lot. Yeah, that, that's a whole lot for a third place guy. I, I went back and tried to find the instances of at least three guys getting 150 first place votes in the Heisman. So just for a little perspective here, 2019 Joe Burrow got. 840 first place votes and nobody else got more than 20 yeah and those are called haters (laughs) those are called chase young enthusiasts haters (laughs) haters yes 2009 was the last instance in which three guys got at least 150 first place votes can you name all right mark ingram won the heisman that year can you name the two other guys who got north of 150 first place votes? Toby Gerhardt and Colt McCoy. You are darn smart. Look at you. Uh, actually, trick question. There was four guys. Duncan oh. Sue got 161. You say who? Sue. Yeah. yeah. Sue I remember that. Yeah. He had a great year. He really did. 2008. You know who won? Sam Bradford won. Mm-hmm. Who were the two others that got north of 150 first place votes? Uh, Colt McCoy and Tebow. Look at you. Mm-hmm. You're on a freaking roll. Tebow got 309 first place votes. He got more first place votes than Sam Bradford did. Oh, wow. Year. And he finished third in the voting. 
That's, that's like that's pre-social media because I definitely would have known that if that because that's such an agenda item. That like more people thought he was first place than yeah. the Heisman winner. Like, didn't win. It won the popular vote, but you know, oh, didn't win the, the electoral college yeah. at it again. Wow, stolen election. Yeah, stolen election. <laughs> uh, there, and then the other only other one that I could find of an instance that happened in the 21st century, 2004. Matt Leiner got 267 first place votes. Adrian Peterson got 154, and then his teammate Jason White, ironically enough, who finished in third, got 171. Mm-hmm. It's going to be all over the place. It really yep. will be. I don't know what's going to happen, and I tried to ask around on Saturday as much as possible just to kind of see where people were leaning. And, man, I don't have an idea. I really don't. Yeah. I think it's going to be really interesting. I have an idea of what I would like to do, and by the time people are listening to this, they're, I'm, I basically will have to have submitted my vote um, by, like, Monday afternoon. Listen before Monday afternoon in the future. But, yeah, <laughs> I'll have to make up that decision really, really soon. So, yeah. Yeah. The earlier you listen, the earlier you listen to us, the less wrong we will be. That's how it works. So if exactly. you just listen to the podcast right when it hits your feed, think about the smart stuff and delete the rest of it, we'll all have a better time. Because exactly. we don't even know who, who's after six right now. Like, who who's to say what anything means? Exactly. Um, anyway, yeah, it's, it's just so funny. I, was, I have, like, USC uh, Heisman winners pulled up right now. And it's like, dude, it's so fitting, right, that in this season we have Caleb Williams, like, add to this list of people. It's just like... Mike Garrett, O.J. Simpson, who even before the whole trial thing was the most famous football player ever, I think. And then Charles White, another great. Marcus Allen, in the NFL and College Hall of Famer. Carson Palmer, elite at both levels. Matt Leinert. And then, you know, I think we're adults who can... Reggie Bush won the Heisman. I was yeah. about to say, well, yeah. he would have been last, but yeah, like, you know... We can, we're adults who can admit that Reggie Bush won the Heisman, who is obviously like one of the best college players even to this day I've ever seen. So it's like, it's so funny that you would just throw it there like, Caleb Williams, Pac-12 championship participant. Like, yeah. <laughs> throw that on the end. It's like, it's so fitting for the season. And you know what's funny too, like going back to the Georgia thing is like, I told like, what, three or four Georgia fans? Actually, it was more than that because there was a group of them. I like pulled them. So total like five <laughs> or six Georgia fans. Hey, like, you know, do you guys, like I, t- I said about the Heisman and I said, hey, you guys know, if you guys had just gotten behind like if Georgia had done a PR thing behind Bowers or Bennett they would both like be in the running because of how weird it's been every every Georgia fan I talked to don't care want to win and it's like yeah that's so perfect and because if you think about it like fun fact you know Thiesman right got turned into Thiesman because of a Heisman campaign yep well Notre Dame controlling the agenda who would have thought but <laughs> but point being like these things have mattered over time and G- Georgia just like Kirby is like don't care want to win yeah. and like Caleb Williams Enjoy, like, whatever to your six bowl you got, buddy. Like, <laughs> all right. Caleb Williams, the, the nail polish thing. Um, oh, brother. <laughs> not the best look. Not the best look. I don't know. And I was talking I was talking to, to some people about this. Who's the only person in college football who could legitimately pull that off? And, I, and you probably wouldn't question them. Like now, current, yeah. Like if they sh- if they played a game tomorrow and oh, you saw man. their their nail polish that said "F a certain team." Uh, Carter's probably, and I'd be scared to talk to him. Maybe why? Yeah, Jalen Carter would be a good one. Because okay, like, what are you gonna that. say? Like, yeah, he's probably good. He's about to actually. So <laughs> I don't know. Like, do I disagree? Probably not. Uh, I, I would. I was gonna say Stetson's probably the only one that can get away with that. Nah, but Stetson, dude, people would never do that. Like never Stetson. I realized that the other day because he tried to like kind of copy Burroughs thing, and the whole quote tweets were like it flipped on him. And they're like, "You're 26." Like, and again, they don't care. Like, it's, but fans generally would not let him get away with that, which they didn't do to Caleb. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, the mic drop thing. Yeah, yeah. like that. There will be if Georgia doesn't win a national championship, the Stetson haters will definitely come out. But yeah, it was an interesting, interesting move. It was a it was a wild weekend for for the Heisman discussion. So um, what about Jim Harbaugh? What if he went like f whoever? No, nah. <laughs> <laughs> buddy, 
if if Michigan is playing in a national championship for the first time in the 21st century, which they will never. They're bring playing it up. TCU, so if they're not, they're frauds. <laughs> like, I mean, I'm not being mean, but it's like, come on, bro. It's a first year coach. They're worse you. Like, just bro, come on. Comp for TCU 2013 Auburn. Nah, for, no. 2013 Auburn was the most ridiculous. First year coach ever. played with fire. I mean, Auburn played with fire in a different sort of way, more so miracles than. Yeah. I mean, maybe the fire drill for the teams the 2013 Auburn beat too. Yeah, no, that's fair. That's like fair. That, that, was a, that was the craziest team. I mean, if you weren't in love with college football and you watched that, and you, I don't know what to tell you, because that's like, that yeah. was like why we love college football. Yeah. So I think that we're going to have a very entertaining playoff. I hope we have a very entertaining playoff. The plan for the next couple of weeks is still going to be we're going to be doing two pods a week, but we will be shifting our schedule because we do not have games on Saturday, obviously. So we will be coming out with pods on Tuesday. And Friday. That's the way that we're going to set this up. We'll talk about some of the some of the coaching moves that are uh, we that have been kind of pushed to the back burner. Alex Golish going to USF. Diano, by the way, is going to Colorado. I was not on my phone at all yesterday, which was an incredible experience. Being out and talking to people rules. I strongly <laughs> recommend literally touching grass and eating good tailgate food. So you're telling me Golish got hired at USF? He got hired at USF. Oh yeah. man, that's really interesting. It is. That's super. And of course, because he's kind of like weirdly off of the UCF tree. Yeah, so all this going back to Florida. Yeah, yeah, really interesting. But yeah, we'll we'll have time to talk about all that. We'll talk maybe maybe some award stuff as well. And I'm sure I'll have some thoughts on all SEC teams, coach of the year stuff when that comes out. We'll see whatever uh, comes to mind. But yeah, you're not going to be here for the midweek pod mm-hmm. because you're going to be in LA. Mm-hmm. But we'll, I might have to, we might have to get Hayes on this week to talk about the, the Bama stuff. Listen, every time he comes on, it's electric. All right? get the full every time it gets the people going is it what does. it does. Gets the people going. What does it mean? Uh, if you have not, leave us a five star review. Subscribe to this podcast. Join the Facebook group for your name, Red on Air, with figuring it out or forward and crash. Thanks, guys. Talk soon.